we're only here once. Mm-hmm. Yeah. You know, we're yeah. only here once. Yeah. And yet everything we do makes an eternal impact. Welcome to the Generous Business Owner Podcast, where business owners gain inspiration and encouragement to live a legacy, not just leave one. And now your hosts, Jeff Thomas, Alan Barnhart, and Jeff Rutt. Welcome to the Generous Business Owners Podcast. We have a very special guest here today, Judah Mooney, who is president of Diokania and also president of Legacy Investments. And we're going to hear all about that. Welcome to the podcast, Judah. Thank you, Jack. It's a pleasure to be here today and uh, be able to share a little bit about the journey and uh, what God has done in our life and in the work in, we're doing in Paraguay. So thanks for having me here. It's, uh, it's a real per- privilege. It's my pleasure, our pleasure to host you. Uh, let's get started. Uh, tell us about the early years for Judah. What did they look like? Well, your typical kid's life, I guess, uh, grew up in Mexico, <laughs> um, or not. Um, Ten years, my parents directed an orphanage in Nueva Laredo. Uh, tech, Nueva Laredo is in Mexico, right across the border from Laredo, Texas. Um, so I grew up with 50 brothers and sisters. Um, Spanish was my first language, as because I spent so much time outside with all my brothers. And uh, we, yeah, had a great time. My parents... Um, we're there for about 10 years, and um, it was a great, great childhood. You know, we, there was never a dull moment for me or for my parents. So then after that, uh, when Wait, I was- Did you say there was 15? 50. 50 brothers and sisters. Yeah. Okay. How's that work? Well, I mean, uh, it was an orphanage that my parents directed. Okay. Uh, so, you know, I, of course, my, my brother, our siblings were seven, two adopted sisters of, that my parents adopted, but you know, everybody was brothers and sisters. Okay. And so we okay. hung out all day long with all the kids. That's awesome. And, uh, one big happy family. It was, it was big. <laughs> it was very big. Um, and, but you know what, still to today, uh, 20 years, 25 years later, you know, some, a lot of these, uh, kids I grew up with there at the orphanage, write Me and we're connected. So it was a amazing time and an experience where I saw my dad take a uh, huge steps of faith. Um, I remember days, Jeff, where stories where my dad would say, look, um, we don't have food for, to feed the, the, the orphanage tomorrow. So let's get down on our knees and let's pray. Wow. And I tell you what, we never saw, uh, one day without food on the table Wow. and stories of miracles. You know, it, it sounds like maybe a movie you would <laughs> read, but for me, it was, it was something natural every day where, you know, the baker would come on that day. We had, we went without uh, food or the milkman would, you know, come by. Wow. I remember one story, Jeff, where one lady sent a check in for $11 and 32 cents and something like that to the detail. And you'd say, what, what is this amount? And she would say, you know, I'm so sorry. This is such a small donation, but it was the exact amount my dad needed to pay the electric bill. Wow. And so that was the lifestyle <laughs> I grew up with. Um, wow. a walk of faith with my parents yeah. and, uh, and a lot of fun. Uh, there in Mexico. Wow. Wow. That's awesome. And after that, we went to Guatemala. Uh, My parents founded an organization there um, and working with people with disabilities. So most of my teenage years, we were out in the villages of Guatemala with Bethel Ministries International. And um, shout out there to my brother who now runs the organization. Um, 
we were distributing wheelchairs. We were preaching in churches. We were, you know, uh, out in the out in the outback. And um, so I had a great time. One thing my dad did very well is he involved all of us as kids into into the ministry. It was never his ministry. It was a family ministry, and we all took ownership for being involved in in um, the different aspects of what his work was. And it wasn't his work, actually. It was our work. Sounds like it really shaped you. It did. Yeah. It did. You know what it did? I remember very early on um, a situation where my dad asked me to go help find somebody that needed a wheelchair. Um, I went out to her house, and it wasn't a house. It was a long, dark hallway, and there was no lights. There was no electricity. And as I walked through the end of this hallway, uh, I found an elderly woman with only the sack of a, be a bean sack wearing. The smell was so bad, it was dark, I couldn't see her. Um, but I found her in the back laying in, on these, uh, in these coffee shacks, and I picked her up, and I walked her out of there, and I sat her in a wheelchair, you know, she was out in the sun again, and I realized that God could use me. Wow. Because it wasn't my dad. It's, yeah. I was, I was able to help her. You were and part of that. Give her an opportunity wow. to, to come into the light. And wow. So those are experiences that formed my early childhood yeah. and brought me to be who I am today. Yeah. Yeah. So what was next for Judah? So um, I was always the entrepreneur in the family. I always found something to buy and sell from my mom's lettuce in, her, in the garden when I was a kid uh, to when I was about 17 years old. I started an import business. Uh, I would um, buy clothes in Panama, wholesale in, in Guatemala. So I traveled the country selling clothing. Um, and then after a couple of years of that, I sold that business and uh, moved up to Washington State, where I lived in Linden, Washington, studied in business. And I thought that I was leaving ministry behind. I figured my parents uh, would I needed supported. My brothers were missionaries. They needed supported. So I thought I would be the businessman in the family, make a lot of money. You know, my grandpa was a, a builder. My dad was a carpenter, so I loved uh, construction work. Uh, put myself through college doing construction, and um, and that was my plan for my life, getting kind of through the college years. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So what happened next? What it sounds like that plan may have changed. Yeah, a little bit, <laughs> <laughs> but but God really brought things together. I um I was invited to be part of a project called Transforming Paraguay Together, uh, right out of college, and uh, I didn't know where Paraguay was, so I had to look it up on the map and you know, see what, what it was all about. And the first lady of the country, the president's wife, was a Christian woman. And um, she had started a project to help, you know, build as many bridges as possible to the country during the time she was in office. And uh, they were looking for a, the organization I ran into um, was looking for a project manager who spoke the language, felt comfortable living in, in the country and could, be a liaison and a project manager uh, for this humanitarian program. And so I went down there to be the, you know, boots on the ground. I thought it was going to be a three-year project. You were right out of college at this point. Right out of age? college. Uh, I was 20, yeah, 22 years yeah. old at that, mm -hmm. at that time. Yeah. I moved down to Paraguay without knowing anybody there. And you know what was interesting? I found in Paraguay a beautiful country. Uh, it was green. It was tropical. You know, and, and while there was lots of elements of poverty in the country and development, 
there was also a lot of opportunities. And as an entrepreneur, you know, I could see in Paraguay that if you did things with excellence and perseverance, that you would succeed because you were probably one of the only ones. And, you know, it was something that we, uh, at, even as at an early age, being down there, I could see that there was, there was going to be a lot of opportunities for that country to, to develop and to grow. Wow. Yeah. So we started out initially, it was a discipleship program for children and uh, feeding, feeding kids. And I got involved with a lot of local businessmen in the community. But from there, kind of my entrepreneur side of me said, look, we can't just feed people. We need to help them help themselves. Okay. And so, you know, I realized that people were paying extremely high interest rates to loan sharks, sometimes between 500 to 800%. Um, and no matter how hard the poor worked, they could never move forward because they were stuck in what I call financial slavery, yeah. where you just can't move forward. I don't know if your business would work well with 500% interest. Probably no business would. <laughs> so what year would have that been, Judah? Uh, so I moved down in Paraguay to the uh, end of 2008. Okay. Uh, okay. Started that project for, uh, worked on that project for three years. Yeah. And then turned it over to the local director's hand who continued it from there. Okay. Okay. So this is about the time microfinance is becoming a little bit more well-known. Mohammed Yunus won the Nobel Peace Prize, I believe in 07, for his work in microfinance. But sounds like you were right in the thick of it on the front line. That's right. You know, uh, I always say I didn't look for microfinance. Really, it came to me. We did vocational training initially, trying to equip the mothers to be able to find a way to, to work and to be able to move forward. And then after two years of vocational training, a lot of those moms came back to us and said, you know, we're, we're bakers now. We learned to bake, but we need stoves. We need flour. The hairdresser said we need hair blowers and scissors and, and all the tools they need. So I realized I had taught people to fish, but I hadn't given them the net. And so really from there on, I, I started traveling. I started researching and uh, building a team uh, to co-found Diaconia, which is a organization, is Christ-centered organization. We, we seek to um, demonstrate the love of God and help restore people's dignity and help them find hope through the tools of microfinance. Wow. Wow. What a great concept in Paraguay. And it, this is 2008, 2009 so 2011. Uh, by the time okay. 2011 came around, we okay. founded the, the organization. Okay. Wow. Uh, just right outside of my house, really, it was we didn't have a lot of resources at the time. Uh, so we did a lot more financial literacy training than giving loans because we didn't have capital. Yeah. Uh, but we started with a group of 34 women wow. with small loans between $50 to $100. And we set up trust groups, groups of 15 to 20 women that are accountable to each other. We would do financial literacy training in those groups. And um, through that process, I learned the power of helping people help themselves through, through microfinance. I remember one of the first women that we worked with, uh, she, took a, she took a loan out and um, Alicia was a woman that, you know, she was a kind of a meaner person, you know? She wasn't that happy of a person. Uh, and, you know, but the, the pastor's wife had invited her to be part of the group and, you know, she just, she was just not too, always very critical whether somebody was taking advantage of her or not. And, and I told Alicia, just, you know, keep going to the meeting. You know, we kept on training, but she invested in buying, you know, uh, the, the product she needed to make food. And so she started selling hot plates of food to the construction workers. 
And that was her first business with $50. She started a small enterprise selling food to construction work. Three months later, she'd paid off her loan. And we did a little celebration event. And uh, Alicia comes to me and she says, kind of pulls me to the side and says, don't do that, don't do that. And she says, I want to tell you something. I was going to give my house. And it's a very humble home with a dirt floor and not much there. But it's all I have. And I was going to give my house to a loan shark for a $1,000 loan. My kids were going to live with my neighbors. And I was going to go to Argentina to try to find work. She says, I'm still poor. But now I think I can make it. And I'm going to stay here in the country. And I want a second loan now because I want a fruit and vegetable stand. But I want to keep my kids with me. Wow. And that's when I saw that this was more than just about giving microloans. This was about keeping families together and giving them the opportunity to move forward and to have hope. Wow. Wow. And, I, and what she said, I think I can make it. It wasn't, like you said, it wasn't just about uh, her financial status. It was about keeping the family together, staying with, at her home. Wow. That is really powerful. That is really powerful. So you founded, I, I want to back up for one second. You founded Diokonia. Tell us what, what does Diokonia mean? So think about the word deacon, mm-hmm. right? From the Latin diaconos. Mm-hmm. And it's the ministry of service. So we see ourselves as that arm of the church that's there to help the, the church serve in the communities, in the marketplace, to build that bridge so that local churches can uh, work within the marketplace. Many churches can't give loans or can't, you know, because of their bylaws and, and just the structure of a church. So we're that, we're that branch of the church that can come alongside of the church, support the community. People come to Diaconia because they need capital, they need opportunities. And we use that space at Diaconia to help people, but then to bridge them to what we know is the eternal hope of Christ through partnership with the local church. Yeah. Wow. That's powerful. Serving families physically and spiritually. So I want to switch gears a little bit. So you're also, Judah, president of Legacy Investments. Tell us, to, and these, these are going to be two uh, paths that are parallel, but tell us a little bit about uh, Legacy Investments and how that fits in. Sure. Parallel in the sense that, you know, one's a for-profit and one's a non-profit. But they really do cross because at the end of the day, uh, for me, it's all about building the kingdom of God. And he'll use the structure that, you know, it doesn't really matter to him if it's for profit or nonprofit. And so I've looked at it as one more way to be able to achieve the purpose that God has called me to. And, uh, you know, as I mentioned before, my, my grandfather was a builder. My dad was a carpenter. And... So, you know, I put myself through college and, and school. So one of my side hobbies was, you know, I bought a little house in Paraguay. I, re- I built it, you know, we refurbished it and sold it and then did it again and then did it again and did it again. And so right now we've, uh, we've built about 40 homes. Oh, wow. Over the last five years, really. And uh, we have um, about 40, 45 houses in construction right now. Wow. So it's, awesome. it's, it's been more than a hobby now. We've built a team about it, around it, and it's a developing, a d- developing real estate company. What's exciting about it for me is that, you know, through Legalas Inversiones, we're able to provide dignified work 
construction is, you know, labor intensive. So we, through our contractors, or have usually between 70 to 80 uh, builders on the projects. We're able to invest in their lives. You know, a lot of the construction families that uh, work for us are, are people that are working their way out of poverty. So it's a way to dignify their lives through work. And it's also a way that Kingdom investors have come alongside of me and said, how do we, how do we invest in real estate? And uh, through the profits of this company and through the houses we sell, generate income that can also sustain part of the work that we do in Diaconia. Yeah. So it's, it really is a, a project that, you know, we're, we're dignifying through work. Uh, we're creating first homes for many families. And then we're using that profit for, to sustain some of the pieces that aren't self-sustaining within our project. Wow. That is so awesome. Uh, I love, um, I love what you're doing there and truly investing not only your sweat equity, but, and your, you know, the wisdom and the skills and abilities and talents that God, God's given you, but also your whole team. And it's all going to further the work of Diakonia. So fast forward us to maybe around the time that Diakonia and Hope International uh, connected. And you know, what, what's that look like? What's that journey look like? Yeah, so as we, you know, kept moving forward, we went from 34 to about 2017. We were working with about just under 3,000 clients. And it was getting to that point where, you know, we didn't know what we didn't know. And we were trying to figure out what Diaconia would look like when, with a bigger structure. And what, would, what did we need to figure out to scale now and reproduce ourselves into an organization that could reach the country of Paraguay? And so I started exploring and looking for Christ-centered microfinance organizations. Like I said, we started in Paraguay as a small entity. There was nobody else working in the country. And, you know, I read Peter Greer's book, Created to Flourish, and just was really inspired by it. And I was surprised that uh, when, uh, when we sent an email, he gave us a call back. And uh, pretty soon, Peter and I were across the table from each other. I had written out about 30 questions that I had for Peter and, you know, thinking about what, what it would look like for Diakonia and what could I learn from the experience of, of Hope International. And, you know, Peter really was open-handed. He shared with me so many tips and the things that he, you know, he gave me an hour for lunch. I think about two hours into the meeting, he's like, I, let me introduce you to the team. <laughs> and I just spent the whole day with his team learning and thinking about best practices, technology, so many things. I got invited. I don't know if I invited myself, but I got invited to the leadership summit where I got to know the different partners and, and uh, country leaders from around the world that uh, are part of Hope International's network. Through that process, we did a mission true, mission true assessment. assessment where Hope came in and they got to know my board, my team, our clients, our donors, all of our stakeholders. And really through that process, we became great friends because, you know, we wanted the same thing. We wanted to empower the poor, to give them opportunity and hope, and we wanted to glorify Jesus through this process. So we were so aligned that it just, you know, I think at that point, we said, let's partner together yeah. and let's not recreate the wheel. I don't need to come to the U.S. and create another nonprofit. You know, I already run the nonprofit in Paraguay, so Hope International could be our U.S. branch or U.S. office. Right. to be able to expediate or grow, help right. us grow the operation in the country. And since then, we have doubled the size of the organization. 
we have doubled the size of our team and we are projecting to go from 6,000 to 15,000 over the next four years. So wow. we are in a process of saying like, we want to transform the country through economic empowerment and, and really let, let God be glorified through this. Well, praise God. It's going to be a lot of rejoicing in heaven as lives are impacted physically and spiritually. That's, that's awesome. So uh, tell us a little bit about, I want, I want to come back to mm-hmm. where we are today. But I want, I want to uh, circle back to tell us a little bit about your family. I think we may have missed the part about, I think you met someone in Paraguay. <laughs> well, it didn't take <laughs> me long. I was there li- less than 24 hours. Oh, wow. And I met the love of my life. It just took her, her two hours to two years. Okay. Not two hours. I wish it was two hours. She gave me the wrong number in the first two hours. <laughs> Of meeting was me. that intentional or was that a mistake? She doesn't admit it till today. <laughs> oh. She says it was unintentional, but knowing her, I think otherwise. <laughs> Two years later, we got married. Hildebrand is my wife, you know, born in Paraguay, raised in Paraguay, and uh, she's a nurse in the country and just has been just the love of my life and the one that keeps me grounded. So it's, I've been blessed by the country of Paraguay in many ways. That's awesome. So we have three kids. Emily uh, is 10 years old. Liam is eight. And Lucas is five years old. Lukey, as we call him. Wow. So we're, we're a busy household. And um, yeah, it's just been a great place to raise a family. It really has. Now, do you have them involved in some projects? You know, uh, we have mission teams come down and, you know, want to go out to visit the the, the groups and different programs. And, you know, my daughter, she is such a people person. She loves to be the translator, loves to go out there with the teams. Yeah, so they, they go out with, with our teams. Obviously, they're busy in school and life as well. Yeah. But, it, yeah, they, they, they take every opportunity they can to. to That's awesome. Us. That's awesome. Well, I'd be remiss if I didn't give you the opportunity to invite our guest on a, on a trip. What would that look like? Well, you know what? It is an opportunity uh, for for you know, the business community and their families to, to come down. And, you know, just like my life was transformed when I got to go out with my dad and do things. The idea is that we can give, you know, these families an opportunity to go down to a third world country and get a vision of how their generosity can make such a difference. Sometimes it's as small as, you know, a hundred dollar investment that can really give people the opportunity to overcome those challenges and move forward. And you hear it, you, you know, you, you see, you might read about it, but when you go down there and you meet that family and you see your business and your kids play, you know, it's just, it's life transforming. And so we love to, to do that because we do feel like it's a two-way ministry to help people um, understand their calling and their journey of generosity and how generosity can, can really um, be a big play of why, why you are here on earth as a businessman. Yeah, that's awesome. Yeah. So I would encourage our listeners and we'll put uh, information in the show notes on how you can learn more about the possible, a possible trip to visit Judah and Paraguay and learn more about the Okinia. Uh, I would like to also circle back Judah. This, this podcast is about generosity and you obviously have lived a life of generosity, you know, mm. growing up and your, your early childhood and then going to uh, school and thinking, okay, I'm going to be wealthy and just send 
remittance, you know, send money. Uh, but you've, you, you're all in. Where, tell me about uh, where you think that came from. Like, what, how was that formed in your heart and your mind? Hmm. I remember when I was about 16, you were there when I started my first business. And there was a missionary from Nicaragua had come to Guatemala and we're working with my parents. And she needed to get back. My dad didn't have enough money to buy the bus ticket to get her back to Nicaragua. They kind of prompted me and said, Zuda, what, what do you think? And I had the money um, and I had to think twice. <laughs> you know what? And then something happened in my heart. Mm. I knew that it was my opportunity to invest in this missionary's wow. life. And wow. so I bought her ticket. She got back to Nicaragua and you know what? I didn't only buy her the chicken bus ticket. I oh. bought her the first class bus oh, ticket. Oh, wow. And it gave me the freedom to know that money didn't own me. Mm-hmm. You know, money was only a tool wow. for me to be able to steward and to help people reach their calling and their giftings in life. Yeah. So, you know what? At that point, I think things shifted in my heart. And since then, no matter what business or what house I've sold or what transaction or what donation, it's all his. And my goal is just to be a good steward of those resources. And to really be a good steward means too that we need to take the time and we need to use all of those, you know, talents that we use in our for-profits to be successful, to think through how do we um, do things for the kingdom that really make a difference yeah. and steward well yeah. those donations. Yeah. And I realized in my own life that, you know, I needed to pay attention to that and that I could steward well God's resources because they were not mine. Yeah. Right. Whether yeah. it was donors' money or whether it was money that I was generating, it, generating it was all God's. Yeah. And I just needed to be a good steward. Of wow, that was really powerful. And if there would have been plenty of resources when you were sixteen, and that that uh, missionary needed that bus ticket, you wouldn't have had that opportunity to express that generosity. So, one of the things, and I want to bring us home here, but one of the things I'd love to circle back on is what. Would you say, if, if you look back in your life, one or two of the valleys, one or, one or two of the struggles that, that God's brought you through to, to bring you to the, the place you are today? Jeff, I think that to, to live a life with a worthy cause and a life of purpose, a life of meaning, we're going to make a difference in this world. There's a price to be paid. And that price to be paid sometimes is giving up of maybe something that our carnal self wants. <laughs> Sometimes it's in, you know, keeping our hearts pure before the Lord and walking a life of genuine to our values. You know, there is a process and we're all on that journey trying to mm. figure it out. None of us are completely there. Mm. You know, we're, we're working on that. But I think in, in the different years, you know, there's been moments where you can get comfortable. Mm. You know, it would have been much easier for me just to manage a feeding program mm. versus doing economic development, mm-hmm. which has its own challenges and is much more complex in nature. Mm-hmm. There was times where I could have been happy just doing that and not creating my for-profit real estate development mm-hmm. company, but I had the talent and I knew I could do that mm-hmm. to be able to give generously. Mm-hmm. And so I think the key is to use what God has given us and just to know it's all his, but not get comfortable in our lives and just set back and at ease. We're only here once. Mm-hmm. Yeah. You know? 
We're yeah. only here once. Yeah. And yet everything we do makes an eternal impact. Absolutely. And yeah. so when I can stop and see the person in front of me and know that this is somebody that God has brought into my life, I think, how can I serve well? How can I make a difference? How can I make a chromos moment with this poet person? Mm -hmm. And whether it's with my children, you know, I'm, bu I'm very busy, but how can I stop and create a moment with my kids that is memorable, mm -hmm. you know? Yeah. How can I stop for the one, mm -hmm. as uh, I.D. Baker would say? How can I stop for the one and, uh, and see them and stop and listen? Mm -hmm. And I think that sense of like, being present in people's lives is what's made a difference mm -hmm. for me. And there's times I've done it well, and there's times I, I've totally missed, missed the mark. Yeah. But I think trying to live that intentionally is what's made a difference. Yeah. Me. Yeah, absolutely. And just, uh, just to highlight uh, something you said, having the feeding program would have been, just staying with that feeding program would have been more comfortable. Uh, but creating something new, going out in this kind of adventure, that kind of into some unknown territory was you created your own, you kind of stepped into a struggle, stepped into a challenge, but it ended up being something so much more beautiful as far as the results of restoring dignity in, in people's lives and in the lives of your family. Yeah. So sometimes you take that first step of faith and you're walking on water, you know, and then <laughs> you don't know where the next step is going to happen from. Yeah. And I think in, in all of our lives, there's a, you know, if you're an entrepreneur, you know what it means to take a risk. Yeah. You know, if you're successful, it's because you took a risk because you wanted a gain, mm -hmm. right? And in our spiritual life and in our family lives, we have to be willing to take the same types of risks, to believe that God will be faithful, that he is trustworthy, you know, and that when I take that risk, just like I do in my business for a cause, that he will come through. And what I love about Jesus is that he always comes through. So it's a pretty <laughs> secure risk for my investment. You know, we think we're giving it all, but in all reality, he gave everything. And so it's, it's the most secure investment you could ever make. <laughs> <laughs> Absolutely. Judith, uh, share one more story. I didn't prompt you. I didn't tell you I was going to ask you this, but I'm sure you have these on the top of your head. Just one more story about associate that has been impacted uh, through Diakonia. Sure. Just this morning, I was talking about Nilsa with one of my staff. And, you know, Nilsa came to Diakonia. She needed a small loan and started buying and selling vegetables. The, she, she formed part of a trust group. And what was exciting about her journey is Nilsa, they're all, all, every client we work with is exciting once you get to know their, their story. But Nilsa started, she, she wanted to learn more. So she took a leather crafting course that we have so she was making thermoses beautiful thermoses and cups she was she so she upskilled what you know everybody would normally drink out of because in paraguay we drink de -de -de. it's an iced tea but you drink it all day long and it's you know everybody's walking around with their thermos and their and their uh, de -de -de cup their wampa we call it so if you come to paraguay you'll <laughs> understand more what i'm talking about but so she learned this new trade and then as she started to grow and develop, you know what she said? You know, I want to, I want to be able to smile and have beautiful teeth. And she was now had the sense of dignity that she says, I want to look good, you know, and I want to have a restored smile. You know, she, both of her teeth had been rotten out 
And what most people don't know is people in poverty many times live in pain, uh, mm. then oral pain, because they don't have the health care. And so with the extra income she had, we have a program at Diaconia that helps our clients be able to visit a clinic and receive a dental care at a very subsidized cost. And she, um, she came in and she did a full restoration of her smile. And then after she did that, she uh, continued to uh, work with her group. She got to know her chaplain who was visiting her from her local church. Now, we spent a lot of time with our chaplains, those volunteers, and teaching them how to work with people with anxiety and depression. How do we help people uh, restore their sense of dignity? Also, more severe cases like uh, you know suicide and things like that that we have to deal with. People call diaconia when they're going through a hard time. Mm. I don't know if you call your banker when you're going through a hard time, oh, but never. we get those calls all the time. And so our chaplain was working with Nilsa through some of the things in her life that she was struggling with. And uh, Nilsa had a 180, you know, she gave her life to the Lord. And two weeks ago, she got baptized. Wow. And is now serving in her trust group as a local chaplain. Wow. So, you know, it's, it's amazing the transformation that can happen when people start believing in themselves. Yeah. And when you give them the opportunity, it, was, it took only literally a, a started with a hundred dollar loan. Wow. And her life and her family's is restored. Wow. That's you powerful. know, when I go out into the communities, people, I ask them, what do they dream about? Because I say, if you're human, God gave you the capacity to treat. And that makes you individually special, unique. You're created in the image of God. You are a creator. I tell them business is not a curse. Sometimes it's hard. It's not a curse because you're creating wealth. And you're, you're taking different resources and bringing together, and you're a creator. And I ask them, what do you dream about? And they tell me about the education of their kids or a better home they would like to live in, a, a secure roof or a second room so they don't have to sleep together in one room. And those dreams are given by God. And so when, we, when we invest in their lives, you know, we encourage them to keep dreaming, to work hard, because those dreams are, are going to be able to be accomplished as they set themselves forward and as they have the support system that Diaconia provides. Through the, through the microfinance and through the accountability groups, uh, through the chaplaincy. Wow. So that's what makes it, that gets me up every morning and I'm excited about it. That's a very worthwhile thing to get up for, Judith. So Andy Crouch in his book, uh, Strong and Weak, talks about flourishing and how we as humans, a lot of times flourish the most when we are the most vulnerable, uh, when we strike that balance between ultimate authority and ultimate vulnerability. And sometimes it seems like there's a swing to one side or the other, but when we can be completely vulnerable and have authority, like you, you seem to have balanced that really well. And when you talked about taking risk, so where, where my mind goes, because vulner risk is you're putting yourself out there. You're, you're making yourself, very vulnerable, um, but the the flourishing that happens not only from you from you, the program that you've developed, but ultimately in the the families you serve have uh, just flourished 
tremendously. So, Judah, one one of the ways we like to finish up our Generous Business Owners podcast is to um, give our listeners who maybe run on the treadmill, walking the dog, hanging out, uh, what's a what's one thing that you would leave them with as you think about generosity, as you think about flourishing, as you think about anything that you'd like to share with our listeners as we as we uh, close out here. Yeah, Jeff. You know, if it's something I could just encourage you with this afternoon is just to to really think of yourself as a steward. You know, it's it's all God's and you know, I think that thinking stewarding not only our resources, but when we think about that, you know, we're stewarding our 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 relationships, uh, where we're stewarding our time, and where are the hands and feet of God on this earth, on mission with Him, and so what we do and how we steward will make a difference in the impact that the kingdom of God is having on this earth. And so when we get up every morning, you know, I just, I just encourage that we, we spend that time in prayer and, and you know, with, through the spiritual disciplines to align our heart to God's and to think beyond just, I need to be profitable to give mm-hmm. or, you know, to be successful and understand that, you know, if we're profitable, let that be one area of our lives that God can use to be able to accelerate and create leverage into every other area of impact that God wants to have through our lives, whether it's our family, whether it's, you know, yeah, it's just the different, the different areas of our life. And that, um, that our generosity would be focused. Um, there's a lot of causes out there, but let's try to, I encourage to think about the causes that are God has called you to give at and where you can really see the impact that is eternal. You know, because everything that's surrounding you today will be gone. And yet we have the opportunity as Christian businessmen to invest in the things that have eternal value. And so, yeah, I just encourage that, that we, that we give it our all, that we take the risks and that uh, and we see the impact for, for that generosity that we live. Wow, that is so powerful. Yeah, being good stewards in all senses of the word, using the, the talents and skills and abilities that, that God has given you. Anything else you'd like to share as we close out here, Judah? Well, I'm just thankful. I'm thankful for you, Jeff, for this opportunity to give me to share, uh, to help International for their partnership, there's always somebody that's invested in you, right? Mm. Uh, Hope International invested in Diaconia. We're investing in many other organizations and people now to be able to help their dreams come true. So think about who invested in you and do that for somebody else. Wow, that's powerful. Yeah. And come to Paraguay. Come to Paraguay and let's, <laughs> let's uh, empower the people of Paraguay. You know what I dream? I dream that 20 years from now, People will look on the country of Paraguay, a small country with 8 million people, and they'll look at the level of poverty and they'll say, it was those Christian businessmen mm-hmm. who lived out their values, who invested and took risks and came alongside of the poor and helped our country change, wow. be transformed. Wow. And then I dream of the day we're in heaven 
where we get to meet these entrepreneurs. Mm. And they say, thank you for having taken those breaths. Thank you for having come. Because because of you, we're here celebrating the joy of the Lord for eternity. Wow. That's powerful, Judah. That's, that is so powerful. It doesn't get much better than that. And I've heard that if we come to Paraguay, there could be some fishing as well. Could be some fishing. My, my son just caught two big piranhas last week. There you go. And if you don't catch a fish, we do have some of the best steak in the world. Okay. There we go. So I'd love okay. to invite you and uh, have you join me. Surf and turf. All right. Okay. Well, thank you, Judith, for joining the Generous Business Owners Podcast. This has been a special treat. I think uh, we may need to do a second episode. You have a lot to share, and it's so powerful, so applicable to our lives. And uh, praise God for you, for your ministry. May he continue to bless your family as you serve him and steward the, the gifts and talents and resources that he's given you. Thanks. And to all our listeners, have a great rest of the day. And check back in for our next episode of the Generous Business Owners Podcast. Thanks for listening to the Generous Business Owner Podcast with Jeff Thomas, Alan Barnhart, and Jeff Rutt. Make sure to follow the podcast so you don't miss an episode. You can find the guest contact information in the show notes. Stay tuned for the next episode.